0: Um, We're currently in a series called Serious Fun, and uh, we've been talking through a little bit of what it just means to enjoy life, what it means to... Um, uh, The scriptures and Christian experience uh, throughout the church hasn't always talked about what it means to have the abundant life. So much of uh, theology and conversations have to do with things like uh, sin and brokenness and pain and suffering and grief. And all of these things are extremely important. So much of our life is difficult. So much of our life is is hard. Um, It isn't always fun. It isn't always filled with joy. And we talk, we got to talk about those things. But we just felt like in this season of our church, um, it was just, there was some space and there was some room uh, not to belittle all of the difficult things happening in the world and all the difficult issues, many of which that we're engaged in in a variety of ways, um, not to belittle those or diminish them, but to say, you know, in the midst of all that, a big part of what God has invited us to is a kingdom that I think is meant to be joy-filled and good. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of rest and just the importance of margin in your life. You want to have a a more joy-filled life, you have to have space in your life to do that. Then we talked about what what it looks like for your good times to be interrupted, what it means to like set aside things that you enjoy and then other things in life happen and they, you can't enjoy them, which is the worst feeling. We talked about how even we spent some time talking about what it means to sit around a table and Jesus' uh, joy that came from uh, eating good food with good friends and good drinks. And this is something that people across time and cultures have found is one of the one of the greatest leisure activities of just sitting with good people, with good food and good drinks And uh, and then what it looks like when that gets interrupted and what we do about it. Today, though, I want to talk about... Pleasure. Yeah, it's gonna get some hot and steamy up in here, and uh, it's hopefully not that awkward, but just enough. Um, But we are, we're gonna talk about uh, pleasure. You can't talk about what it means to have fun and not talk about pleasure. Um, And uh, so, oh, oh, by the way, happy Mother's Day, everyone. Yeah, moms. Uh, Yeah, another, yes, thank you. You won. No need for applause anywhere else in the service now. Or for the next couple of weeks. Um, funny story. Uh, no, we're fine. We, we are not a hand-clapping church. I don't know if you picked on that, which doesn't reflect our music at all, guys. I don't get that. It's because we're white, but it's fine. Whatever. Um, funny story, though. Uh, we we're a church plant out of a church in Athens and uh, Central Avenue United Methodist Church, and we came to Columbus and partnered with some local churches here and, and started this thing called Central City. Been around for about a year and a half. One of the things uh, we've taken a lot from our from our parent church in Athens. We've uh, uh, some of the music you even heard today. The first song, original song to Central Avenue United Methodist Church, You're like oh, I haven't heard that song. Well, it's an original to Central Avenue. Um, and uh, one of the things we also take is we do sermon series and we kind of stick with it and. Um, Central Avenue is really notorious for just ignoring holidays. So if there's like a big event happening in the world, they just like don't. The pastor just ignores it, like like Mother's Day or a national emergency. It's just like whatever was planned six months ago is what they do, and it's part of Paul's personality. It's part of his discipleship strategy. That's the pastor there, and don't we do that a little bit. We try to be a little bit more sensitive towards that. So, but there, um, they were doing a series on Revelation. Um, not a super easy book to preach on, a lot of judgment, a lot of fire, dragons, things, things like this. And he's preaching on a particularly fiery sermon around, you know, theology relating to judgment. And guess what day it is? It's Mother's Day. And that's just, that's the church. Today, though, we're still doing the same thing. We're, we're sticking to our series that we planned a little bit ago, and uh, not six months. I'm not as good as that. Um, and, uh, but the good news is, is we are not talking about judgment, friends. We are talking about pleasure. So happy Mother's Day, everyone. (laughs) And in fact, and it's really great because we wanted to, partly because it's Mother's Day, partly because we're talking about pleasure, and we're going to talk about what that means, is we wanted things that might, you know, uh, spur the senses a little bit. So we got flowers. We don't normally have flowers. We got Twizzlers. We don't normally have Twizzlers. although at the rate at which they're going, we're going to have Twizzlers for weeks to come. <laughs> and uh, we got cheesecake and muffins, and of course, our, we normally have coffee. And so I encourage you, if you haven't had any of these, uh, you know, we got some trail mix as well on the sides. Grab some on your way out, because um, uh, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to enjoy, uh, enjoy the senses. And that's what pleasure is can make us uncomfortable, words like uh, sensual. <laughs> you know? It's, it makes you feel something, doesn't it? Sensual. Here's what pleasure is, though. Let's not, let's not, let's not be super awkward. It's, it's, it's an enjoyment of, of one's five senses. It's when you experience something in your five senses um, that's enjoyable. That's a, good, that's a good feeling. So, of course, the five senses are, help me out, sight, touch, smell. Taste and hearing, yeah. So you experience something that tastes good. You experience something that went, you know, some touches you in a way that feels good. <laughs> <I just laughs> Back rubs is what I was thinking. And, uh, you know, you, you, you smell something that's beautiful. You hear something that, you know, you, hear, you see something that's beautiful, whether it's a work of art or, or your spouse. You know, like, but that's, pleasure is when you, you experience a particular sense. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, the reality is, is in the Christian uh, experience, especially after Jesus came and in the early church with the, uh, the, the epistles, um, pleasure was um, is really kind of presented as a bad thing a negative thing. In, in fact, there's parts of the history of the church, and I didn't go into depth, so I can't tell you the, the details, but I looked into it enough, and I'm familiar with it enough, to know that there are periods of, like, the Catholic church's history and other branches of Christianity where pleasure was downright sinful. Experiencing any kind of—and it's, so, like, even to the point where, like, sex, you, you, sex only for ch- giving birth. Like, that's procreation. It shouldn't be—you shouldn't get pleasure out of it because pleasure was sinful. And that's—I think normally when the church talks about pleasure, that's where it starts is from this negative vantage point. So I want to start there, but I don't want to end there. Um I just do I do want to cover it for a second because pleasure does have a bad rap and for good reason scripture talks about it in a variety of ways if you go all the way back to the beginning uh story of Adam and Eve this primal story about the birth of uh, humanity uh, you have the story of them of the fall, what we call the fall and 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 they are they they have all of the world they have all of themselves, none of its covered. It's, it's a sensual place, but there's one tree they're not supposed to. And they, they do. They eat from this tree they're not supposed to. And they do for a couple reasons. One is because they think it'll make them wise. It'll make them more like God. to have the knowledge of good and evil. So that's one temptation. But the other two have to do with pleasure. It's because it was good for food, looked like it would taste good, and it was pleasing to the eye. It was a good looking piece of fruit. So it's rooted in pleasure. In fact, if you think about the seven deadly sins, two of them are rooted in pleasure. Others are rooted in things like pride or um, the way we compare each other, you know, covet, that sort of thing. But gluttony and lust, these are pleasure-based sins or temptations, right? Um, Jesus says it uh, like this. He's telling the story of the seeds that are fallen on the ground and some grow to become healthy plants. Others don't. He says, uh, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. So now Jesus is saying pleasure can be something that chokes out your spiritual life, right? So this is why people deal with it typically from a, from a negative perspective. Here's how um, uh, Paul says it in Ephesians, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. She's so like, they're engaging in these temptations of their senses. They're also greedy. But it's, and, and the problem here, in this particular passage especially, is uh, they've given themselves over to it. They've given themselves over to it. I want to suggest today, and I might bring it up again, is, is pleasure is a great rest stop. It's a terrible tour guide. Pleasure is meant to be something that we, in, we engage in, but if you let pleasure be your tour guide or your master or leader, it will lead you in not good places. Um, and this, is, this goes for all, a variety of things. Um, when pleasure is your leader, that's when you engage in things from sexual morality to gluttony to all of these things that um, have a lot of uh, uh, unhealthy practices and, and even a fair amount of shame when even we talk about it. All of this shame comes down on us. It's, but regardless of that, we shouldn't let pleasure be our guide. So I just want to, we're just going to, I'm going to share this very briefly and then we're going to switch to a positive note. Um, I want, just challenge you, take note when pleasure is done in the following ways. Just, just think about it more. Maybe talk to someone. If you're engaging in pleasure of any of the five senses, um, and it's done in one of these five ways, just, just as a, as a flag, um, that you should pay attention. First one is when it's done in excess. Pleasure, um, loves to just ask more of you. And so if you're doing something and it's like, you've gone into excess, uh, you know, just take note. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, but it's something you should be aware of, and it's something you should probably talk about. It can easily become an addiction. It can easily become a distraction or something that hurts you. The other one is out of context. Um, pleasure is, should have healthy boundaries. Um, the, the way that I interact with my wife in a pleasurable way is not how I interact with other women. Correct? Correct. And if I did, that would be out of context. Um, both are pleasure, but if it's out of context, it's inappropriate. And so you need to be aware, if you're doing, engaging in something that's pleasurable, it could be the same with food or anything else, you know, and it's out of context, you need to stop and you say, okay, what's going on here? Um, in a way that hurts others. I think specifically reading throughout most of the Old Testament, um, you have kings. We're going to look at one uh, example in Ecclesiastes where you just engage in all kinds of pleasure. Um, you have uh, all of this great food and you have this great palace and you have this great comforts, so just all the comforts of wealth. But at that time, and even I would suggest even still today, it's at the expense of a lot of other people. It's at the expense of slave labor or you know, a variety of things. So if you're engaging in pleasure at the expense of other people and it's hurting other people, you should, okay, that's, you should, that's not good pleasure. You should be aware of it. And then the last one is just as a flag, there's a lot of pleasure that should be done in privacy, but if you're engaging in pleasure that that you are just uncomfortable talking to anyone about, that could be a red flag, you know, that maybe you should be comfortable talking to someone about it. And maybe it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but maybe the fact that it's a secret is itself the bad thing, but it could also be a sign of something else. So I just want to leave that there because we're talking about pleasure. I want to look at it from a positive standpoint, but here's some things, you know, if you're engaging in whatever pleasure, in one of these ways, I would encourage you to stop and to think about it. So let's look at it, though. Scripture does have some really great things to say about pleasure. And I want to look at two passages. One is a very favorable report on pleasure. And the other one is um, a little bit more neutral, I would say. And they are side by side. With the, they're right next to each other in the Scriptures. And the first one is Song of Songs. So if you didn't think it could get more awkward. How many of you have read Song of Songs? Have you, you should read it. Uh, wait till you're over 18. Um, it's, it's very, it's very graphic, and I think Christians have, uh, tried to, I, I was me, I was talking with somebody, actually, recently, and, um, they were talking about how, uh, they were talking about it like it's a metaphor about God's relationship with the church. It's a popular way to interpret it. I think we do that sometimes because we want to sterilize it, we want to make it a little less sensual, or less awkward. It does not make it less awkward. That, that book becomes more awkward if you think of it like God and the church, because the, what... God is saying about the church is very inappropriate for God to say about the church. Now, if it's a, a guy, uh, if it's a you know two lovers, then it's like all of a sudden really beautiful, and that's that's how I would read it. Um, and so I want to look at it just briefly because it talks about. The senses. It's a poem, and one of the things you need to know about, uh, one of the things I learned about poetry in a class I took once, was, uh, you know, abstract poems aren't really that helpful. One of the things, you, 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 we tend to lean towards abstract thoughts, but if you want to compel people, you have to use concrete images. And one of the ways we do concrete images is you think about the senses. What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it, you know, how does it feel? What is it, these are, the senses are these concrete images that we can grab a hold of. And so Song of Songs is filled with these concrete, sensual images. And it starts out, it's a conversation between a guy and a girl, and the girl starts out, um, uh, uh, just a heads up, we are going to have some fun with gender stereotypes today, so sorry anyone that offends. Um, Here she starts. She says, "Um, "'Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine.'" Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Whew, getting excited. <laughs> Let the king bring me into his chambers, which is something I think couples should say more often. <laughs> and, uh, what, what are the senses being engaged here, right? You've got, you've got kisses, so that's touch. Right. Uh Wine. All right. That's taste. You've got a fragrance, a sense of smell. Uh, this one's a little more subtle, but he's, she says your name, like just the sound of his name is like, you know, it, it, which is a cross sense comparison. The sound of your name is like perfume that smells, right? So that's really clever poetry when you can cross the senses. Um, so she, she, uh, she uses four different senses really beautifully. This is the, you know, verses one and two of Song of Songs, and it's all the senses. It's it's all pleasure related. It all has to do with this this pleasurable relationship. It's touch, it's taste, it's smell, um, and it's sound. She doesn't have anything to say about sight, but don't worry. The guy will speak up here. The guy goes on to say, in a couple verses later, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots horse, which I'm hoping was romantic at one time. (laughs) I feel like a modern comparison is like, you are like the best sports car. Which is not romantic, so I'm hoping, I don't know. You're, and then he goes on, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. So here's, here's, this is just, I think, funny. The girl is like, here are all the ways in which my four senses are engaged in this relationship. And the guy's like, you look real pretty. <laughs> and he goes on, chapter, I think it's chapter four. I mean, he just describes her whole body um, in variety of ways. Very... Uh, culturally beautiful ways, I, I assume. And he goes on to talk about her earrings and her cold and that sort of thing. Here, here's, what, um, here's what Song of Songs uh, uh, shows us. Um, the senses, the engagement of senses are good. That this is beautiful. Um, more than just in a romantic relationship. I mean, they're, they're, just in general, there are so many good things about life, things that taste good, things that feel good. And I'm not, and, and we're joking, I'm making you awkward. I'm trying to be funny, but I'm not just talking about sex. Uh, I was, I was talking with, um, our, I mean, Alyssa in marriage counseling. We, we were fairly open about that. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We encourage all counselors, uh, all, uh, couples to go to counselors at least once a year, just for a checkup. Um, so we, we highly encourage that. And we're there, I get there early. Alyssa's, uh, running, uh, uh, uh a little late and we're not going to talk about our stuff, but I'm, I'm sitting with the, counselor so we're just chit-chatting and I'm telling her I'm going to talk about pleasure first thing she says is our as a therapist is um well I said what's your thoughts on it she says well it's entirely necessary for human life and development like it's just it's so important that there are chemicals in our brain that are released when we experience a pleasurable uh, interaction with our senses and she went on to say just a simple touch you know just a simple touch on your arm is releasing these chemicals uh, dopamine oxytocin I think am I saying that right and you know, people are smarter than me, yeah. It releases these things. And these are health, these are really important for, for healthy brain development. It helps us think uh, more clearly. Can, that's what she's telling me, anyways. I'm, I'm not an expert on this. But she says this in total. And she happens to be a Christian. So she then goes on and says, you know, this is how you know, God created us for this that we were meant to be experiencing things that are good and that um, make us feel good. And Song of Songs is such a great, I'm so, so glad Song of Songs is in the canon. Because if it wasn't, there really wouldn't be a book that gauges pleasure of all the senses quite at the level that Song of Songs does. So much of Scripture is a conversation we talk about this a lot. We're going to do a whole series on it, a whole con- a whole sermon on it in the future, but truth is often found in the middle of a conversation. And, and a conversation in Scripture is there's often these divergent voices, a voice over here that says one thing and a voice over here that says something else. And I, and I think oftentimes the truth or, or what we can experience of God is somewhere in the tension of the two. And so Song of Songs is this one extreme. They're like just lost in the love of life and lost in the love of each other. Um, the book right before Song of Songs, not so much, which is Ecclesiastes. Now, they're both attributed to Solomon, uh, which is interesting. Whether he wrote them or not or written and attributed to him, uh, it's still interesting that they're attributed to him. And uh, Song of Songs, great perspective on pleasure. Here is what um, Ecclesiastes has to say about pleasure. The teacher says, I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, which is sad to me. I love laughing. And what does pleasure accomplish? Song of Songs is kind of like a rom-com. You almost have to not be, if you approach it cynically, you won't enjoy it. That's, That's a romantic comedy. If you approach it like, well, is that really possible? Is that how life is? Then you can't enjoy it there is a sense that pleasure is best enjoyed when you can just relax and not make it, you know, like you don't need it to mean something. Because then he starts thinking about it. What's the real like purpose of pleasure? And if you start getting into this existential conversation around pleasure, sure, we know scientifically the impact that it has on our brain, but he's not thinking about that. He's just thinking, well, what's the ultimate purpose? And ultimately what he says is like, we're all going to die anyways. You know, so why does it even matter? that's what my, that's what my therapist said too. And I'm not convinced. Yeah, no, I mean, he could definitely be depressed. He, I think there's a real possibility that he's just engaged in an existential exercise, um, which might feel a lot like depression, um, but (laughs) might not be the same. Like there's a sense where he could have engaged in an existential exercise that he could also then stop engaging in and be okay. Or he might've just been, Clinically depressed. I don't really know. We don't know. But here's what I want to say. One of the the best lessons I think I can offer you in pleasure, uh, it goes back to this idea that pleasure is good, but you shouldn't let it be your master, is um, friends, pleasure doesn't need to mean something bigger. It goes back to like, should we only have sex to have babies? No, you can just have sex because it's enjoyable in the right context. And and I think that's the, the essence of pleasure. Like, if you want it to mean something more, like, oh, this has to, like, what's the, if you look to pleasure to find your meaning in life, you will be disappointed. And that's the exercise he's engaged in. He's like, what's the, the ultimate meaning in life, and can I find it in pleasure? And the answer ultimately is going to be no. There's not this deep-rooted meaning. I think there's lots of places to find meaning, oftentimes in sacrifice and suffering more often than pleasure. But pleasure can be good. And the more that we just let our guard down and let us just experience this good thing that's in front of us, just enjoy it. It doesn't have to be something else. He goes on and he says, I deny myself. Uh, I desired myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Um, my heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet I surveyed all that my hands had done and what i had toiled to achieve, and everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Another side note with this word meaningless, it's, it doesn't mean that it's without meaning. A, a better translation would be absurd. It, it means I can't make meaning out of it. You know there's these dots they don't connect and I can't make sense of it and how does it all work and what's the how do you answer all the big questions and if you've ever gone down an existential you know thought process around any sort of topic pleasure suffering whatever, you're going to ultimately most of us end up at a place with either overly simplistic answers which I think are unhealthy or this deep question of like I can't make sense of it it's absurd life is absurd and that's what he says pleasure is I can't make sense of it what's the good of it now, I find it interesting that he, uh, Solomon uh, is attributed to both of these. And I don't know, you know, what the order of this happens. Is he kind of starts from a place of depression and existential examining? And then, you know, is the idea that he, like, finds love? And, or is it the other way around? Is he like, uh, this love thing is great? And then, like, after a year, he's like, I don't know. This is all meaningless. <laughs> By the way, how you answer that says a lot about you and the state of your life but I think here he actually lets us in to a really interesting perspective on how to get the most out of pleasure and what he does, isn't the way you do it. If you want to find out whether you like cake, you never had cake, you want to see if cake is something that you could really enjoy. You've heard good things about cake. You're like, I've heard cake is great. And you go about deciding I'm going to find out if I like cake by eating the absolute most amount of cake you could ever, Anyone could eat. You're like, I'm just going to keep eating cake till I can't eat cake anymore and that'll tell me whether I like cake. Friends, if you do that, you will not like cake. You will be sick. And that's what he does. He's like, I'm just going gonna, gonna to let all of the walls down, and I'm going to just gonna engage in every bit of pleasure I can engage in. And he finds out that it's like, no, this isn't, this is meaningless. I, I'm not an expert. I, I do have Google, though. And uh, I Googled this. And uh, I, uh, in, in, a, in a psychology I think it was Psychology Today article, is talking about pleasure. And one of the things, and this isn't a Christian perspective, there's just some, some, I did check and they have, they, they, they have their credentials, supposedly, this person who wrote it. And he's saying, you know, one of the secrets to enjoying pleasure is interestingly enough, moderation and self-discipline. Like, go, like, if you just engage in it as much as pleasure would have you, you'll actually enjoy it. And I'm talking about food, smells, whatever. If you withhold, if you learn to say no, if you learn to put up boundaries and say, no, I'm going to do this in a, in a way that's more disciplined, I'll actually get more out of it. And I find that interesting because if you're engaging in pleasure in an unhealthy way, the best thing you can do is learn self-discipline, get help, find new patterns for living, in community that you can be honest about that. But ultimately, it comes down to learning to do it less or not at all. And, and if you don't have an unhealthy relationship, you just want to enjoy it more, the best advice is learn to say no, learn to do it in moderation, and learn to have self-discipline. And that makes sense. The same way that we fix a problem is how we keep it healthy in our life. I want to invite the uh, band to come up as we uh, prepare to close. I want to challenge you to just reflect um, briefly. Um, can we go to the next slide, Max? I lost my connection here. Uh, Solomon goes on, or, or the teacher goes on and says, A person can do nothing better than eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their own toil. This, too, I see is a hand, uh, is from the hand of God. For without him, uh, who can eat or find enjoyment? It reiterates this idea that pleasure, whether it's eating or drinking or the love of another person, whatever the pleasure is, um, ultimately, it might not answer your deep questions. It might not give you the big purpose, and that's okay. Let pleasure off the hook. It doesn't have to fix all of your problems. It's just a good thing. It's just a good thing to enjoy, and you can receive it as a gift, as a good thing, and have that kind of perspective. I honestly believe that God came to bring uh, heaven to earth, and the new kingdom that God is building is one that's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be something that is the all of creation could be enjoyed in healthy ways. I'm going to enjoy the good things that creation have in a way that doesn't hurt creation, in a way that doesn't hurt other people, and in a way that doesn't hurt me. But these are good things that I can partake in and that I can enjoy. That's the kingdom that God is bringing to earth. And Jesus' death and uh, uh, resurrection and, and, and new life that he offers uh, through that is, gives us an invitation to live and to be different, to find joy at least in the passing, at least in this short journey. I don't think we need to wait till heaven to taste heaven here on earth. I really don't. And that's the invitation God has. So if there's an area of your life where you feel like your pleasure, you're engaging in unhealthy ways, I encourage you to talk to someone about it. I make myself available, Alyssa's available, talk to someone about it. Um, Be honest and open. That's just a great thing to do regardless of what's going on because you might be beating yourself up over something that doesn't matter. But also, if maybe you've been... Just think through your senses, sight, hear. What are some things you can do this week that you enjoy? Have you eaten something that's really good? Have you listened to a song that you really enjoyed? Have you smelled something that's really good? I'm a uh, father of a two-year-old. I've smelled many things that are not good. <laughs> but just try to find, just as an experiment, in and in a, as an act of worship, find those things in your life that you can enjoy uh, that, that, uh, that um, uh, improve, um, that can impact your senses. Will you stand and pray with me?